Well, it's uh, good to be here with you this morning. Um, and you'll have to excuse me, I do have a, a bit of a cough. Um, I've tested, it's not COVID. Um, it's just a, a bit of a cough that I've had a wee while now. But it's great to be here with you this morning to share from God's Word. And if you have your Bibles there, if you can open up to Psalm 136. take the time to read this whole psalm together. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever, who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever, who made the great lights, his love endures forever, the sun sun to govern the day, his love endures forever, the moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, His love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. Who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, His love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. That is God's word. Now a few years ago, uh, before I started studying at the Irish Baptist College, I did an internship with Bible-centered ministries um, at Mullertown House, which is their camp center in Annalong, which is sort of the, the southeast coast of Northern Ireland. And I had the joy of working alongside and living right beside a, a family who had a wee boy, Caleb, who was two years old at the time. Now, anyone who's ever had much contact with a two-year-old boy will know that there is one word, one question that they love to ask over and over and over again. Why? They're always 
asking why. Anything that is said or done, why? And throughout that year at Mothertown House, I find myself explaining a lot of things that I didn't know very much about and justifying every single thing that I, I did or said. And in particular, whenever I would ask Caleb to do something, he would hit back at me with, why? Sometimes I was able to give it a, a decent reason, and then there was other times I just had to give him the, the classic reason, because I'm telling you to. And in this psalm that we've read together, we, the psalmist here, he calls us to give thanks to the Lord. But before we have the chance to hit back with that why, the psalmist explains why. Giving that reason, his love endures forever. But not only does he state that and, and leave it there, but the psalmist goes on to explain how that love has been demonstrated by God. And so as we consider this psalm together this morning, we'll split it into five sections, which occur quite naturally within the psalm. So in verses 1 to 3, give thanks to the Lord. Verses 4 through to 9, give thanks to the Creator. Verses 10 through to 22, give thanks to the Saviour. Verses 23 through to 25, give thanks to the provider. And then finally, verse 26, give thanks to God. And as we work our way through each section, I have on the PowerPoint the words of the psalm without that repeated line, his love endures forever. Not because that line's unimportant, but just to help us see more clearly the flow of the psalm. But we're going to continuously be referring back to that line because it is the fact that the love of God endures forever, that underpins all that is said about who God is, what he has done, and what he continues to do throughout this psalm. And it's throughout this psalm that we actually see the ways in which God's love endures forever as we move through it. Now, in terms of the context of this psalm, we know very little. Uh, we don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. We don't really know very much but we know that since it was written, it has been revered by God's people, both before Christ came to earth and after. In fact, in Jewish tradition, it's known as the great Hallel, the great praise. And it would have been used in Jewish worship with the leader reciting the first line of each verse and then the congregation gathered would recite that line, his love endures forever. And verse one of this Psalm, is certainly one of the most famous verses in the book of Psalms. You know, it's one of them ones that you might have as your, your lock screen on your phone or maybe framed up in your house somewhere. And this opening verse, it's also the opening verse in Psalm 106, Psalm 107, and Psalm 118 as well. You know, the words of it are well known. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And along with verses 2 and 3, Verse 1 calls us to give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Lord. Now, whenever the word Lord appears like that in all capital letters in the Bible, it's the translation of God's personal covenantal name, Yahweh. The God that the psalmist is calling us to give thanks to isn't some, some general deity that we know nothing of. He's calling us to give thanks to the personal God who has a per personal relationship with his people. And this God is the one true God. 
The psalmist describes him as the the God of gods and the Lord of lords. These are our superlatives describing God as the, the greatest God and the greatest Lord. They describe the supremacy of the the one true God in a world that's filled with many false gods and and many human rulers who want to be gods. And as the psalmist continues in the rest of this psalm, he declares how God, how Yahweh has declared himself to be the supreme God, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And he begins by taking us right back to the beginning, right back to creation as he calls us to give thanks to the creator in verses four through to nine. In these verses, we have a a very basic description of creation, focusing on on the larger elements of creation, namely the heavens, that's the universe, the, the land on the earth, and the sun, moon, and stars. And those first two, the heavens and the lands, they demonstrate that he is the God who created space. While the next two verses concerning the the sun to govern the day and the moon and stars to govern the night, indicators of time, they demonstrate that he is the God who created time. And these verses, they build up a picture of a God who is really big. The God of space and time. Everything that exists comes from him. The universe and everything in it has a beginning. And its beginning is God. For the naturalist, the the atheist, the universe came from nothing. But that view is baffling, both scientifically and also in our human experience. You see, these verses in Psalm 136, they're, they're not cosmological in the sense that they don't tell us the exact details of how the universe came to be. You know, these verses, they don't try to claim that, you know, God literally had two hands spreading out the land over the water. You know, this passage, it's not part of a science textbook. But it is there to teach us an important lesson about creation. Because it teaches us that creation flowed from and was a demonstration of God's love. The universe was literally built on love. Out of his love, God created the universe and everything in it. Therefore, through this passage, we know that love exists because the universe exists. For the naturalist, for the atheist, the the universe was built on nothing. And so it has no inherent value. You know, nothing in it has any inherent value, even human life. And love, well, it, it doesn't actually exist. You know, it, it can't be more, anything more than a, a biochemical reaction. And so it doesn't matter what anyone does. There's no such thing as moral and immoral because the universe comes from nothing. But thankfully, that is not the truth. Because the Bible tells us about the God who created the universe out of his love. And so when it comes to talking about issues such as as abortion and issues like euthanasia that put an end to human life, 
we know that human life was created out of God's love. And that was the epitome of his creation. When he saw it, he said it was very good. And so it has value and purpose in him. Think about it this way. If I print out a picture of a mountain range or or whatever, and I rip up that picture and put it in the bin, nobody's going to care because it it doesn't have any, any value. It's just a printed picture. But if I take a picture that a child has drawn for me, and right in front of that child, I rip up that picture and put it in the bin, well, that child is going to be rightly grieved because of the love and care that they put into drawing that picture. And with God, human life is created in his love. And so if we turn around and say that it doesn't always have value and that we have the right to choose when it will end, then we're disregarding God's love. God's love is what gives value and purpose to life. And so we're called to give thanks to our loving creator for his love demonstrated through his creation. Then in verses 10 through to 22, we see, (coughs) sorry, we see that God's demonstration of his love, it, it didn't end at creation but it continues throughout history with his people. As we consider our our third point, give thanks to the Savior. Now following creation, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and humanity was infiltrated by sin and that relationship with God was damaged. But God had promised Adam and Eve that he would bring a Savior who would crush the head of the serpent that deceived Eve. And therefore would defeat sin and death. And as the storyline of Genesis goes on, God then promises to Abraham that from him he will create a nation through which that Savior will be born. And so we see the formation of the nation of Israel. However, this nation of God's chosen people ended up in in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. Things were dire and it seemed as if God might have forgotten. But then he rescued them. He brought them out of slavery and led them to a promised land. And it's this event that the psalmist goes to next as the great demonstration of God's love in history. And in verses 4 to 9, we saw God's power over nature. And now in verses 10 through to 22, we see God's power over human forces. After 400 years in slavery, the Israelites, they may well have been thinking something along the lines of, does God's love endure forever? As they worked tirelessly for the Egyptians, they maybe felt that God had forgotten them, that he didn't really love them, or at least if he did, he wasn't showing it. But God demonstrated his love once again as he saved them from their slavery even splitting the red sea into two so that they could pass through it and escape the pursuing egyptian army 
And again, his love didn't end there because he followed through with that salvation until its completion in the promised land. He guided and protected Israel through the desert. And when they reached the land that he promised them, they encountered many great kings and forces. But once again, God's love proved faithful as he gave them victory over these kings. In verses 17 through to 21, the psalmist tells us that God struck down great kings, killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan. Now, Sion and Og, them two kings, they're mentioned here in particular because they're renowned in Israelite history for being the, the first kings conquered in the promised land. Their defeat marked the beginning of the new life that God had promised his people as the result of these kings being destroyed Israel received the land that God had promised them see when God promised Israel a land he fulfilled that promise even when Israel came up against the the natural barrier of the Red Sea even when Israel came up against mighty kings and the people dwelling in that land even though the Israelites groaned against God and continuously disobeyed him, God still fulfilled his promise. Why? Because his love endures forever. For the nation of Israel, the the exodus and the receiving of the promised land was their great salvation event. That they could always look back on and know that God's promises come true. But even that was simply a type, a a picture of a greater salvation to come. I mentioned earlier about that the Savior that. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. I mentioned earlier about the, the Savior that God had promised Eve, and then again to Abraham that would come through that nation of Israel. Well, for us today, we can look back at the true greatest salvation event as that Savior came in the form of Jesus Christ. As God the Son, He came down to earth. He lived a perfect life of obedience with no sin. And then He died on the cross and rose again to free us who have faith in Him from not just the punishment for our sin, but from sin entirely so that we can be reconciled with our creator God as we look back we know for certain that our sin has been dealt with because God in his love sent Christ to be our savior you see the cross provides a a twofold guarantee of God's faithfulness to those in Christ who, who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the cross guarantees the forgiveness of sin, a restored relationship with God and eternity in heaven. But to those outside of Christ, and that may be you this morning, who, who put their faith in other things, the cross provides a guarantee that 
sin will be punished by God and no sin will go unpunished. Either Christ took the punishment for your sin, which you can be sure of through faith in him, or you will take that punishment yourself after this life. But for those of us with faith in Christ, as we go on through this desert, this wilderness of life, this period between the act that secured our salvation and the culmination of it, we can look back at the cross and know that God's love endures forever. And just as he brought the the nation of Israel's salvation to completion, he will do the same for us who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we give thanks to God for his steadfast love that he shows us in our salvation. And the psalmist then in verses 23 through to 25, he brings the past acts of God's steadfast love into the present. Some commentators, they believe that verses 23 to 24, uh, the psalmist there is talking about the return of God's people from exile, but that can't be said for certain. But what can be said for certain is that the psalmist knows that God's acts of love continue on. And in verse 25, he he mentions God's love and the provision of food for every creature. As we've already considered throughout this psalm, the, the God who created in his love also sustains his creation and his people in his love. This time of year is usually the time when we remember and give thanks for the harvest. And as we do that, we remember that the harvest, it doesn't just come about by a natural cycle. It doesn't just come about through the the hard work of the farmers. It doesn't just come about through the, the nutrients and the fertility of the soil. It comes about through God's love that sustains his creation. And so with this in mind, the psalmist calls us one last time in verse 26 to give thanks to the God of heaven for his love endures forever. Throughout this psalm, we've done a a lot of looking back, seeing how God created the universe in his love, how he saved Israel from slavery in his love, how he delivered them to a promised land in his love, And in the last couple of verses, we briefly considered how God continues to provide in the present in his love. And having considered all of this, we can be sure that his love will continue into the future. The Hebrew word that's translated love in this psalm is the word chesed. And that's the word that's used in the Old Testament to describe God's faithful, steadfast love. And in Psalm chapter 23, Psalm 23 and verse 6, David uses that same word, although sometimes it's translated mercy there. But David says this, Surely goodness and chesed will follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the certainty that the Christian has from God in Christ. Looking back at what God has done, looking how he's providing for us in the present, demonstrates that he will continue in his love to provide for his people all the days of their life. And in his love, at the end of time, he will bring in the new heaven and the new earth where sinners like you and me who have rebelled against him will dwell with him for eternity because in his love he sent Christ to be our savior. He has provided salvation for us through faith in Christ alone. And how does the psalmist call us to respond to this incredible love? Give thanks. The Hebrew word translated give thanks there is the word hodu. And it means more than saying a simple thank you. It means to confess, to acknowledge. We are called to acknowledge this God of love. That means not just in our words, but in our thoughts and in our actions. Our whole lives are to be an acknowledgement of the creator, savior, provider God. Living in the way that he has called us to in his word because of who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do. In light of his great love that we have considered this morning, how could we not give our lives in humble submission to him? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen.